Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. It sure is good to see everybody here tonight. Those of you that are visiting, thank you very much for taking the opportunity to come and be with us. I know the brethren appreciate it, and I am right there with them. I appreciate what you've done to take the time to come and be with us tonight. As we begin this evening, I would like to see if you would turn with me to Romans chapter 12, and we're going to look at verse 9 through the end of the chapter. It will be a little bit different from where we began last night, but we're going to begin at verse 9 and go to the end of the chapter, and then come back and look, beginning at verse 12, and go from that point. Before we do, I must, again, thank all the brethren here for uh, the invitation, especially the elders here, for coming to be here and for our being able to get together with Reagan and Stephanie and Brother Hancock as well. I appreciate what these two men do in preaching the gospel, and I know you do the same. And uh, our, our fellowship together that we've had this week has been one that will be memorable for my sweetie and I, as we embark upon, Lord willing, our journey back to Murfreesboro, Tennessee tomorrow, and there will be definitely some things of which we have learned from you this week that will last for many, many weeks and months and years, and I'm very grateful for that and for the invitation to come and be with you. And as I mentioned to you last night, one of the things that Romans chapter 14 says, I want to repeat again. Romans 15, verse 14 says, I myself also am persuaded of you, my brethren, that ye yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. And that is in the context of what we've been studying this week in the book of Romans. I'll leave that with you. And I know that will take place. I just, I just get that understanding from your conversation, from your desire to learn about Scripture for your attendance, for your presence, for your generosity, and so many different aspects of what you've done for us this, these last few days. I just bid you God speak of what you do in the future. If there has been something that you would have, and I guess I should have said this at the very beginning, that you have some more things about that you would like to discuss with me or with Brother Hancock or with Brother Reagan, then I'm sure any, any one of us would like to discuss it, but more specifically to myself about the things that we have discussed in the last few days, then you can, I can give you my phone number. We can talk on the phone. We can do it by email or maybe even tonight before we're dismissed. And please bring that to my attention. And uh, if there's something about what you will learn more about, then let me know and I'll see what I can do to to discuss that with you. Romans 12, I hope that will be a passage for you as it has for me, one of which you, you will look at, not differently, I don't think, I don't mean differently, but look at it more deeply and richly. And when we study, as we studied this week about Romans chapter 12, there are some things that when you understand God's mercy that's been extended to us by invitation, verse 1, and you commit yourself to that sacrifice of which he begs us to do in verse 1. And then you find yourself renewed because you transform your life and your identity now is in Jesus. Then you, you wonder what it is that you need to be doing next. 
what, how, when, where, all those things. So look at with me again verse 9 as we studied last night where it says, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor that which is evil and cleave to that which is good. And love of the brethren, be tenderly affectionate one to another, and honor, preferring one another. In diligence, not slothful, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, communicating to the necessity of the saints and giving the hospitality. Bless them that persecute you, bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that rejoice and weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind one toward another. Set not your mind on high things, but condescend to things that are lowly. Be not wise in your own conceits. Render to no man evil for evil. Take thought for things honorable in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as in you lies, be at peace with all men. Avenge not yourselves. Beloved, but give peace or give place into the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance belongs unto me, I will recompense, says the Lord. But if indeed thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him to drink. For in so doing thou shalt heap coals of fire upon his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. And this is where we were last night. And talking about these characteristics, these traits of what transformed individuals are, how they're identified about their love. It's a very unique love that's very different than you see in a disoriented world. It is definitely something of which, when it comes right down to right and wrong, good and evil, they know the distinction. They can discern it very, very well. Just like the Hebrew one I was talking about in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11, verse 14. When you learn it more and more, then you be able to clearly see this and evaluate this. And then you talk about, as Brother Young was leading us just a moment ago, bear one another's burdens and loving one another, that doing so fervently in preference of one another. And then as we concluded last night in verse 11, not lagging behind in anything, you're going to be the fervent one in the Spirit. You're going to be the one that's going to serve and you're going to be really, really wanting to do what God asks of you to do. Without any hesitation, without any apology, without excuse. But then we go further. As we begin tonight, and as I told you what we will do, we're, kind of, we're going to kind of put all of verse 12 through verse 21 in about four little small segments and understand very clearly. The first thing that I think we would see very interesting in verse 12 is, Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, and continuing steadfastly in prayer. Just a matter of handling adversity with a matter of prayer and a matter of hope. If you've got a fervent spirit as a Christian, that's one thing. But then all of a sudden when your feet are taken out from under you of something unexpected that you do know that when you read James, the first chapter, and you look at verse 2 to verse 4, you know all these possibilities of trials and manifold temptations will come. But in some cases, you never thought you would be the one that would experience it. Maybe you always thought that other Christians would. And you could sympathize with them. And you could hug them. And you could pray for them. 
And there's a good possibility that when it comes down to this idea of tribulation, if, if you had any exhortation given to you, you might want to leave this one out. In, in the list of all that we've discussed, you want to leave this one out because adversity is just one of those things that most people wish never happened. If you read 1 Peter chapter 1, and you read beginning of verse 3 to about verse 7 verse 8, these things come as a matter of proving of faith of the individual. And going back to what we talked about just a little bit ago, maybe a couple of days ago back in Romans chapter 12 verse 3, when God gives by his grace these things are which he says are a measure of faith, did you ever thought, that the possibilities were that adversity might just be part of that. And, and it's going to be proving your faith to what it really consists of most. Is it superficial? Oh, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. I believe in Scripture. Or is it going to be very deep, fastened, anchored upon the Lord Jesus Christ as a transformed individual? For we have an understanding, but when you, when you read Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 to verse 27, there's all kinds of adverse circumstances, winds and waves, rains, floods, a tumultuous amount of things that come against us. We have no idea if we're going to survive. And I would say from this side of the building all the way over here to this side of the building, I could come up with a list of probably 12, 13, 14 different adverse situations, tribulations of which you've experienced, some of which multiples of you have experienced, and some of them are just unique to you. How do you handle that? What's the first step you take? And please know, the idea of these adverse circumstances is not really specified to a believer. It can be to everybody. Go back a few chapters of the book of Romans chapter 8 and notice this. Of which he says, and in the context of the book of Romans, I thought it would be good to look. For I reckon that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed to usward. For the earnest expectation of the creation waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation, creation was subjected to vanity, not of its own will, but by the reason of him who subjected it in hope. In hope, though that the creation itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of the corruption and the liberty of the glory of the children of God. There's a glory associated with this. Now for you it might be sadness, it may be disappointment, maybe a lot of tears, but he says in verse 22, we know that the whole creation groans and travails in pain together until now. Not only so, but also ourselves who have the first fruit of the Spirit even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for our adoption to with the redemption of our body. There's a difference between the transformed individual versus the people out in the world that groan and moan and bewail their circumstances. For in hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for that which he sees? But if we hope for that which we see not, then do we with patience wait for it? Then when you turn to Romans chapter 12 and you read this segment where he says rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, then you understand a lot of people face it. Yet the transformed individual has a very faithful 
hopeful stance in the midst of it. If you go back a few chapters, chapter 5, and you notice the statement that is made in verse 1, being therefore justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he begins to talk about all the things of how you rejoice in hope of the glory of God in verse 2. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our tribulations, knowing that the tribulation works steadfastness, steadfastness of provenness, and a provenness hope, and hope puts not to shame, because the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts through the Holy Spirit, which was given to us. So these, these segments of what you see that we state in Romans chapter 12, verse 12, have already been previously mentioned in Romans chapter 5 as well as Romans chapter 8. And Romans chapter 5 is going to lead you into understanding the value of the grace that God gives. Romans chapter 8 is introduced to you and to me. There is no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. And we walk by the Spirit, not by the flesh. And the value of the walking by the Spirit versus walking by the flesh, in other words, the people that are conformed to the world, Whenever there's an adverse circumstance that they experience, they're rooted and fastened into a hope, into a faith that definitely is not going to be shaken. It's because it's on the rock. Therefore, we need to be the people that will pray for that steadfastness. We need to be the people who will pray for that sturdy, enduring persevering spirit. When Diane and I do premarital counseling for couples, there's one thing that we mention to them that we want them to be aware of, of which neither I nor they know, and that is what you're going to face when you get married. Whatever it is that you face, the ups and the downs, the joys and the sorrows, the victories and the failures. You must have established at this moment in time before you get married how you're going to go through those moments. Or you have no idea how severe it may be. I do not say that to wish bad luck on anybody. Or wish they'd go through so many different trials. But it's going to happen at some point in time. What will your identity as a transformed child of God look like in the midst of that adverse moment? That you will be patient through it and say to yourself and even to your wife and to your husband and to all the brethren, we will make this through this as long as we hold on fastened to God and to his will and to his purpose, and it will be his glory that will work in us, or, or we're going to resign to self-pity and moan and groan like the rest of the world. That's a different identity. Let's change into what he states here in Romans chapter 12 and verse 13 communicated to the necessity of the saints and given to hospitality. I've heard it said, if there's any one place a preacher should never reach, it's into the pocketbook and into the purses of people. You don't want to step in that area. And the first thing I got to think about is God's already stepped into it. 
He's already reached down into it before I even say a word about it. He's already reached into the purse. He's already reached into the pocket. So therefore, if I speak about it, then I can only enunciate what Jesus mentioned in Matthew chapter 6. You're not going to have what you've got with you for the rest of your life. It will possibly rot. It will be moth-eaten or it will corrupt. It will rust. And even possibly have somebody come and steal it from you. God forbid somebody takes something away from you. In the first Timothy's case, in first Timothy chapter 6, Paul was talking to Timothy about it. And all the things that you possess, Timothy, you must know that you will not take it with you. As he states here in first Timothy chapter 6, he mentioned something very clearly in verse 6, but God in this with contentment is great gain. We brought nothing into the world, for neither can we carry anything out. It's pretty simple. It's pretty cut and dry that we're not going to be able to take this with us. Therefore, what is going to be the attitude and spirit of the transformed mind in his or her identity in the world? How could they see any difference in us? This is part of financial planning. This is part of financial and spiritual growth. The fellowship that we have with each other is a matter that we're going to do everything we can and whenever opportunities come our way that we're going to give to them, to help them. And it's nothing that has to be flashy. It doesn't have to be big. It doesn't have to be really elaborate and really expensive. It can be because you have somebody come to you and be with you that you just want to share yourself as well as your finances with them, whatever it may be. There are probably a lot of you that do that already. Therefore, what I say may not really be anything that you haven't already heard or already practiced already. But I hope and pray that you're not doing, doing it in an elaborate way. Hope and pray that you're not doing it because it's more expensive than anybody else would do it. And I hope you're not doing it because everybody will brag about you once they're there. After they spend a little bit of time with you, and they'll go tell everybody else about what you can expect here and what you can expect them to do for you. It should just only be the fact that you're just ministering to them because you had it to give to whomever it may be and whatever the amount may be. Do you know that you can do things for free? You don't have to spend a lot of money just to call somebody on the phone and to be hospitable to them. One of the great things that I've ever seen young people do is be hospitable to those that are older than them. There's a brother in Christ that I know today who tells me about some of the young people and uses that young people loosely where they worship. Who he watches these young children who are under the age of five welcome the guests and give to them a bulletin when they come in the door. Whether they're members there or they're guests doesn't matter to give them all something to remember that they worship together. They didn't spend the money for the paper. 
They didn't print all that out, and it wasn't real lavish. They just did because they wanted to for somebody else. When he mentions what he does here about what's going on in the transformed mind, do you know that this is already being practiced before Romans chapter 12? In the book of Acts, the second chapter, verse 44 and verse 45, when about those 3,000 souls were saved, among the people that were of the saints in Jerusalem, they were already sharing with each other. They had all things common. House to house. Next thing you know, here comes along this lady named Lydia. Once she's converted, she brings people in her house. Same chapter, once this man named the Philippian jailer is converted, he brings people into his house. Doesn't say how much he had. It's not a matter of how much he had. He had a house. He wanted to show hospitality, which is an act of grace, which Paul had already experienced. Silas had already experienced. All these brethren had already experienced the hospitality of God's grace to them. So therefore, why shouldn't they do the same to somebody else? Because that's the identity. That's the identity of the child of God. I so much appreciate the example of Job. In Job chapter 31 and verse 32, knowing that Job had lost everything he had, Job 31, 32 says, The sojourner has not lodged in the street. I have opened my door to the traveler. How do I draw, how can I draw the most people into a deep experience of God's hospitality in my house and through what I possess? That's a great question to think about. But let's go further and talk about what goes on here in verse 14 to verse 18. The hope of being in peace. Bless them that persecute you. Bless and curse not. It has been amazing to me to watch and to hear what has happened in the last, let's say, five years. Maybe longer than that. Maybe back to 2016, 2017. When the instance happened in Ferguson, Missouri. And this man is killed and riots and madness take place. It seems like every year since that time, and I know it's been happening way before that, but it seems like every year since that time there's been some kind of madness, some kind of chaos, some kind of violence, some kind of abuse. Something's taking place when their people are taking this, burning this, trashing this, doing all these kind of things to people they don't even know. All this violence. And we're wondering, when is this ever going to stop? I mean, if you could go to the shopping center to experience it. You could go to the ball game to experience it. Some of the people that have even experienced it in their houses. And you're thinking, well, how in the world is there ever going to be a peace that ever exists? And the first people that need to understand the value of it are the transformed mind people. You and I understand the concept of this and value the opportunity. Because this passage right here in this text is going to attack pride. It's not going to attack somebody. It's going to attack pride. That is the root of all these abusive, violent moments. Be not conformed to the world in the ways of which they deal with, 
these circumstances. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In order to do that, you and I are going to have to swallow some pride so that we don't repeat the same situation. But there are times, I mean, there are those special circumstances where somebody pushes us. We're going to push back. Somebody does something to our daughter, our son. We go get them. Somebody says something to us about something they don't like or they don't want out of us. Some kind of hateful words. We want to repeat the same to them. Or make it harder on them than they made it on us. But the calling in this section of Scripture is not going to be the most popular area in the world of which you face these circumstances. Persecution. For most people in the world, it's curse them because they persecute you, because they mock you, because they ridicule you. Curse them profanely. Sue them. Go after them. Repeat the same evil that was done to you, or worse. But the root of the problem is the pride. And if you look at verse 15, pride is not going to even attempt to weep with somebody that weeps. Pride will not care how happy somebody else is because they're not going to be happy with them. I mean, it's just not going to happen. There's a couple of statements that Jesus made. One, in Matthew chapter 5 about this. I want you to look at with me when he talked about enemies. He says in verse 43, in verse chapter 5 of Matthew, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I want to say to you, love your enemies and pray for them to persecute thee. There's two things. One is love, one is pray. And both of those equal the attitude and the spirit of the transformed. That's their identity. Luke chapter 6. The same Jesus. Statement made in Luke chapter 6, verse 28. We'll go back to verse 27. Love your enemies, do good to them that hate you, bless them that curse you, pray for them that despitefully use you. Verse 28 is almost like Romans chapter 12. The statement that is made in verse 14. Bless them. How do you get rid of the pride that would lead to getting at somebody? How would you remove the pride that would keep from there being cursing? At verse 14 says. There's a statement that is made in verse 16 that helps clarify how you're going to look at this. Set not your mind on the high things that you're going to one-up them, you're going to punish them more, you're going to create some kind of arrogance in your mind that will handle it your way, but he says, be wise, be not wise in your own conceits. Condescend to things that are lowly. That word condescend means carry away with. So when you apply that idea of condescend, carrying away, what's the transformed mind going to do? It's going to be carried away into pride. No, it's going to be carried away into, as he says here, you're going to be carried away into things that are lowly. 
humble. Humility. An honorable, godly, we'd say Christ-like way of which we'd handle this. Rendering to no man evil for evil. Take thought for things honorable in the sight of all men. God is the one that's watching what it is that we're going to do in these circumstances. And I need to know more about this. And I would say a lot of us do. All these other ones, from about verse 9 to about verse 13, we can probably catch real quick. And we probably could really adapt ourselves to doing this as a transformed individual. But verse 14 all the way down to verse 20, we're, we're really challenged with this. And it seems like maybe the fervent in the Spirit that he mentions in verse 11 has its way toward exalting its pride and moving in an area where there's somebody that opposes them, criticizes them, persecutes them, does some kind of painful act to them, and the reaction is, get at them. Do not let them get away with this. Because maybe we feel like we have the right to defend ourselves. If Romans 8 is, is true, and I believe it is, then the emphasis of which Romans 8 is leading you and I to do is removing ourselves from the flesh and acquiring the Spirit of Christ. And the more and more I think about what Jesus went through, though he could call 12 legions of angels to eliminate the whole bunch, and he could definitely wipe every one off the face of the earth, he practices exactly what it is that Paul is talking about right here. Even though people are stubborn in their ways and they're set there and you just can't reason with some people, like he couldn't with the Pharisees. It was hard to get along with the scribes. And when somebody like these Sadducees come up to you, the thing that they want to do is catch you and trip you and cause you to lose your credibility. And when they come up to you with money, they try to see what they can do to ruin your reputation. And I think about what Paul is saying. It's very similar to what Peter was talking about in 1 Peter chapter 3. And he, and he uses some of the same words Peter does in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. Brethren, finally, be like-minded, compassionate, loving as brethren, tender-hearted and humble-minded, not rendering evil for evil, reviling for reviling, but contrarywise, blessing for him until you were you called, for you should inherit a blessing. And then he goes on and says, those that will love life and see good days, what do you do? Refrain your tongue from evil. Lips that speak no guile. Let them turn away from evil and do good. Let them seek peace and pursue it. Then even verse 12, For the eyes of the Lord upon the righteous and his ears unto their supplication, but the face of the Lord is upon them that do evil. So here's the point. Do you think that what you're going to do if you just come with evil, on evil, 
Evil's going to win every time. Do you think that's made anybody better? Are there more people converted to Jesus? Are more minds transformed because there's evil combated with evil? Or are more people going to be identifying with Jesus the Christ through what I do because I'm duplicating everything he's done as a transformed individual? I want you to notice with me Proverbs chapter 24 before we go to the next point, and that is when you think about the matter of those that are persecuting, those that are against the transformed mind, those that go against what's evil, go against what's good. You will notice statements that are made by the wise men in Proverbs twenty four seventeen. Rejoice not when thine enemy falls, and let not thy heart be glad when he is overthrown. Lest Job will see it, and it displease him, and he turns away his wrath from him. And you go a little bit further and you notice, fret not thyself because of the evildoers, neither be thou envious of the wicked, for there shall be no reward to the evil man. The lamp of the wicked shall be put out. Oh, yeah. I'm going to put him out. No. That's not your job. But you'll notice in verse 28, Be not a witness against thy neighbor without a cause, and deceive not with thy lips. Say not, I will do so to him, as he has done to me, I will render to the man according to his works. That's hard. That is difficult. And the more and more you see this out in the world of how people are handling evil and how people are conforming to the world and doing this and doing this regarding that which is hateful, and abusing other people who are innocent. Definitely mocking the people that are believers. And they're the problem. And they're the issue. And they're our greatest challenge in the world. Even though the world is conforming itself to go against that which is good, please value the understanding that we're the people who should value what's right and not be the ones who will repeat the life of the evildoer, and meet the same downfall as they do because we get back at them. The transformed mind does differently, which is, according to the text, in the book of Romans chapter 12, this is the way, this is the way he says it. In Romans 12, you notice the statement that he makes besides saying, render to no man evil for evil, take thought, not, take things, thought for things honorable, if it be possible, as much as in you lies, be at peace with all men, avenge not yourselves, beloved, but give grace, give place, rather, to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance belongs to me, says the Lord, I will recompense. Which brings us to this one. Don't tackle only what God can bring down. Our country, definitely, Living in this land, we have these certain inalienable human rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And believe we're protected by the law. Even by the force of the military, we believe that we're protected. A transformed Christian who lived in the days 
of the New Testament. If you live in Rome, your life may be at risk. You may be stoned. You may be put in prison. You may be beaten. You may have things taken away. I am not a prophet, and I'm not not even going to step in the form of a prophet. It makes you wonder sometimes, based on what things are going, how things are going, if persecution worldwide is going to take place next. And we're going to be in the same boat as some of these Romans are. And Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 4, he says, don't think this is strange in verse 12. Don't think that this is strange because this happens to you. Persecution is in our day, and it is real. I heard that you had Brother Kaufman come in just a few weeks ago. You heard it. He told you what's happening in Africa. It's happening in the United States, maybe not to that level, but there are peoples whose rights are taken away from them. Therefore, what is it that we're going to do in the midst of all that? What is it that the transformed mind thinks he or she can do? Is it the matter we're going to do everything we can physically stronger than the other person? I mean, do you think that really we could sue them to the point that we make them hurt more than we'll make ourselves hurt? Do we really think that we're going to bulldoze them over and it's going to really hurt them more than it does us? Is the exchange of evil really going to make the difference? Is my wrath, my greatest amount of wrath that I could ever expose somebody to, is that going to make them so small that they're going to turn to the Lord? There is a word that's in this text that you will look in verse 9. It's a very simple three-letter word called for. That verse 14, verse 17, verse 18, verse 20, verse 21 is all really focused upon this word for. For what? For. It is written. For it is written. The devil comes at Jesus in the book of Matthew chapter 4. He tempts him with taking these stones, making them bread. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Takes him up on the temple, jump off, shows him all the kingdoms. Why don't you just bow down to me? For what reason? I'm not doing this for. It's written. Why not take vengeance? For it's written. What more evidence do I need? What more substantial, absolute truth do I ever need than this scripture right here? The transformed mind in the identity of the world in a disoriented world is not set on making sure that evil is duplicated. It is, according to verse 21, overcoming every moment of evil with good. That is one of our greatest challenges, to do exactly that very thing. Because what value is it to take a moment of mockery, a moment of abuse, a moment of persecution, a moment of where somebody takes something from me. What value will it be to take that story 
and play it, punch play, let everybody hear it from my mouth, punch stop, rewind it, get it ready for the next person, and punch play again. Let them hear it, punch stop, rewind it, play it for the next person. How many people, of when I play that same story over and over and over and over and over again, are going to want to be more identified with the transformed, but more likely would want to be identified with the world. Because they're hearing my complaints and hatred and anger toward those people. Rather than extending to them the mercies of God that were extended to me because of the invitation, verse 1. And my mind ought to be renewed. It is such a wonderful privilege, a greatest privilege in the world to serve Jesus Christ and to let God be God and me be a servant. If I can do that, if I can work on that, then this appeal that's made up there in verse 1 doesn't go by the wayside. It's not all vain. It's not useless. It is going to be honored by my life. It will definitely portray the glory of our God in all that I do. Because Christ fills my heart with the love of verse 9, with the matter of affection in verse 10, with the diligence of verse 11, with the prayer and the hope of verse 12, with hospitality of verse 13, with a blessing of rejoicing within the rejoice and weep within that weep. It doesn't go and retaliate. It does everything it can to be united and removes in a very condescending way everything that pertains to that which is high and constants into things that are low and lets God be God and me be the servant, of which we're about to sing in just a moment. There have probably been people who have very well hesitated to being a Christian because they have not witnessed some of these things that we've discussed this week. That should be a product of a transformed mind. Shame on us if that's happened. But if that person happens to be in this room tonight, you hopefully will have understood by the time we reach this point, the value of what it means to show the world the true identity of a person in Christ in a disoriented world. The world needs you just like Jesus wanted his disciples in the world. To be that person is to be a believer that will repent of sin and will confess of Jesus the Christ, the Son of God, 
and be baptized, as Romans 6 says, to rise up to walk in newness of life. To prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That's what you should do. And I hope you'll do that while together we sing this song. Make me a song.